Hi, welcome to Your Chron, short for Your Chronicles. I'm your host, Scott Pitney. Your Chron is a podcast where we chronicle ordinary people and their extraordinary stories. We refer to ordinary people on this show as people who are non-celebrities. Our goal is simple, keep our audience entertained and occasionally perhaps even inspire, motivate, or educate while our guests build their audio legacy via this unique opportunity. So let's get right to our next extraordinary story. All right. Well, this is an exciting moment, my first podcast, and my first guest, the lovely and talented LaVon Pitney, who also happens to be my wife. Welcome to the show. Welcome to the podcast. And thank you very much for being the brave first guest of the show. You're welcome. <laughs> so, um, my wife does have an extraordinary story, and we are going to get to that in a second. But before we go there, I just want to kind of set the stage for you. It's Saturday afternoon. We're in our apartment. We're watching playoff football, uh, Falcons, Eagles. So you may hear some background noise, uh, which may include a parrot named Alvin, who we're going to be taking care of the next couple of weeks. Hi, Alvy Padalvi. Uh, we also have two bulldogs, ours, uh, Duchess, and her sister, Chanel, <laughs> who we'll be taking care of a couple weeks. So uh, we're going to be folding clothes, drinking wine, and... LaVon mostly is going to be talking and telling her story. So, uh, LaVon, where, where is a good place to start your story? Um, and, and let me just first say that what inspired me about it, 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 the theme of this story to me is when somebody tells you you can't, sometimes that's more inspiring than somebody that tells you you can um, and you did it, and you did, you did something that a lot of people, I think, would be maybe too afraid to do, to, you know, it's, it's big what you did, in my opinion. And so, uh, anyway, where do you think a good place would be to start? Um, I guess when I was little. Okay. How little, how old? Uh, around... I would say five or six years old. Okay. My grandpa would come home from uh, the military. He was in the, I believe, Air Force in San Antonio, Texas. That's where I was born. And he would come home with uh, these cool pencils. And they were mechanical pencils. And back in those days, it was predominantly uh, wooden pencils with lead. But he had these cool pencils that were mechanical and uh, he had a pocket protector, kind of uh, geeky in a way. And I used to ask him, you know, how do you get these cool pencils? And he said, well, if you become, if you're an engineer, you get to use these pencils in your career. And I'm like, well, what does an engineer do? Because I love asking questions. And uh, basically he told me he was like an aviation engineer for the Air Force. And back then, you didn't have to have um, a degree to be an engineer. You could, you could just work at a company, and you were uh, 
doing the task of an engineer with, with a, without a degree. Back then? Back in the, um, in the early 70s. Okay. Predominantly people did not have degrees in engineering. They were just, they were considered engineers. They did engineering work, but they were not degreed engineers. Yeah. See, my dad was an engineer, and I thought he drove a train when I was a kid. So you actually found out that your grandfather designed stuff with these pencils that you were fascinated with. That's so correct. it all started there. Yeah. Okay. And so growing up uh, as a kid, um, I was also very fascinated with movies and acting and stuff like that. And uh, I told my parents when I was probably sixth or seventh grade that when I grew up, I was going to be uh, an actor. Actress, sorry. Well, they're called actors now. I think it's, you know, okay. no, no, it's gender biased or whatever they say. So anyway. So I, um, I remember running into my parents' room and they were getting ready to go out or do something. I don't remember what they were doing. And I said, I know what I'm going to be when I grow up. I know what I'm going to be when I grow up. And I was super excited. And I said, I'm going to be an actress. And my stepfather um, at the time was from Alabama, you know, old school, kind of closed-minded, uh, believed you should have a career in something, but probably something a woman would do. Uh, and he said, well, you could be an actress, but you're going to starve your whole life. And why would you want to do that? It's like winning the lottery if you become famous. So he kind of shot my little dream down. And so a few days go by, I started thinking about what he said, and then, um, I don't think you know this part of it, but I, uh, my, one of my good friends that lived across the street, they were from uh, Philadelphia or somewhere up there, um, somewhere up north. And I was telling them about that and they started laughing at me and they asked me, well, what do you, or laughing at the story, not at me. And they, they said, well, what else do you like? And I said, well, I always thought about engineering because my grandpa was an engineer. And uh, her mom said, well, you know what you should be? You should be a biomedical engineer. And I'm like, what is that? That sounds kind of cool. And, that, and she said, well, that would be uh, designing equipment for the medical field. And they make lots of money. And, you know, and I was like, that sounds just like a kid. You think about money, and I was like, well, that's exactly what I'm going to do. So um, went through college, high school. Uh, I was very, very good at math. In fact, when I was in junior high, I was in a, some kind of United States mathematical yearbook or something weird. I don't even know how I got in it. And uh, I basically, when I was a freshman, I took classes that were in, I'm sorry, when I was in eighth grade, I took high school classes. I had high school people in my classes. I went all the way up to, in high school, I um, went to almost to calculus and I didn't take calculus because I started working and getting off school early and uh, working at the time was more important. And um, so uh, I told my parents when I graduated I would be um, going to University of Houston and I was going to study biomedical engineering. And I, at the time, University of Houston in Houston only offered um, biomedical engineering as a master's degree. First, you had to get a degree <clears throat> in mechanical engineering. And so 
I told my parents I was going to go to U of H. I was going to get an engineering degree. And first I would start off at HTC and then I would end up at U of H to get my engineering degree because HTC was uh, cheaper and why spend so much money on uh, core classes or the basics. And so they agreed. And then my strict stepfather said, you can go to University of Houston. And if you do that, your curfew will be 11 o'clock. And I said, no way. Okay, now, as I remember this story, that right there, you know, to me is a huge moment of truth because um, I know your personality and you don't necessarily like to be told what to do. Um, and uh, that, that is one of those instances that you are being told directly what to do. And so just to kind of... Uh, frame uh, what period of life this is. You're 18 years old. Yes, I'm 18 years old. I am um, months away from graduating high school. Mm. And did he give you any kind of reason why you were going to live by his rules, even though you're a legal adult and can do anything? Was there anything that prompted him that you know of to to say that to you, were, were you, you know, a hellraiser or, you know, but beyond the normal teenage stuff, maybe coming in a few nights late or whatever, is there anything that, that you feel like or you remember prompted him to kind of put his fist down and say, you're going to have a curfew? Uh, yeah, it was, it was mainly because he said that uh, if I lived under his roof, I had to abide by his rules because he didn't want to lay in bed at night worried about me. And he also always had this little comment that nothing good happens after midnight. So why do you want to be out and about after midnight? So 11's a good time. And then he said, we'll take it from there. If it, you know, if you abide by getting here at 11, then we'll move it to midnight. But since you live under my rules, you'll have to follow this curfew. Do you, do you recall at that time seeing it any way? It, it, did you seeing it from his point of view at all? Or mm -hmm. did you just thought he's batshit crazy and he doesn't know what he's talking about? Like a lot of teenagers do. No, that's the way I thought. I thought, you know, how dare him I'm saving money because I'm going to go to school here in Houston and save money by not going to a, another college. And if I were away at another college, I would... Um, he wouldn't know what time I came home, so why should I have a curfew now? But I, back then, I didn't get it. I get it now. And you get as it now an adult, as an adult with two daughters. With two daughters, there you go. But you didn't have two daughters at the time. You were still a teenager, and he was being a dad. And a before, dad. of course, it's easy to see now. Yeah. Now yeah. he he was a. Uh, back then, I thought he was strict and kind of hated him. But when I turned in my twenty, when I got in my twenties, I realized he was doing it for my own good, and I love him, and he's the best dad ever, and I'm glad he did all those rules. So, you obviously respected your stepfather, and uh, like many teenagers, couldn't stand him at the same time, from time to time. So, what did you say? Or do you recall what you said, or what action did you take when he said, 
your curfew. If you live at this house, it's going to be 11 o'clock. I, um, I basically just said I agreed with them, but I guess little did they know. I uh, approached one of my best friends at the time. We worked together at Randall's. And, um, Randall's is? A grocery store in Houston. And we worked, uh, I worked in high school part-time. And when I graduated, they promised me a full-time position. And I believe, this is 1988, I believe my pay was like 11 or $12 an hour. Not bad for then. All right. And full benefits and... Enough, enough that you can live on your own. Right. Yeah. And uh, so I, um, I approached my good friend at the time, best friend, and I asked her, hey, why don't we, uh, she was living with her parents, and I don't know if she's going to college or not, but I asked her, hey, why don't we uh, go get an apartment together, two bedroom, and split the rent, and she was all for it. And we were, that was our plan. How old was she your age? She was older than me by two years. Okay. So she about was 20. 20. Okay. So she told uh, her boyfriend at the time, hey, LaVon and I are getting an apartment together. We're going to be roommates. And uh, you asked earlier if I was kind of a rowdy or hyper or something. Not, I don't know. Rebellious? Mm hmm I wasn't rebellious. I did... As a kid, I did do things that my parents never knew about. I did sneak out of the house, do stuff like that, but I never was into drugs or anything, but I did do stuff that they never really knew. So in their eyes, I was a good kid and I had good grades and I was responsible, but I did do things that they didn't know about. So his curfew was more for your protection than... Than he really knew. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, back to my friend... Her boyfriend at the time knew that her and I would go out to nightclubs when he wasn't around. And I guess his fear was, oh my God, my girlfriend's about to go live with LaVon and... Party girl. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so he was scared that, what if I lose her because she's out partying with LaVon? So what he decided to do was propose to her. <laughs> so there went my roommate, and <laughs> I was still determined to um, get uh, get a place. So I even asked another friend, and they were going off to Denton, her uh, to Denton, Texas, to go to college up there. So a lot of my friends that I knew that I was close to were going off to college somewhere else. So there were really no close friends that were staying in town to have a roommate. Um, and another good friend of mine, uh, still a very good friend today, she was already uh, about to get married. So a lot of people were either in, off going off to college or about to get married. And so I decided, so I started looking around by myself and I went to look in a area that was uh, fairly new, not that bad of an area. It's called Mission Bend. Today it's not a, it's a okay area. Back then it was a brand new Everything was expanding there. So I went and looked at apartments there, and I got super lucky. There was, they were brand new, so they were trying to lease out the apartments, and 
the rent was going to be $199 a month for mm. a one-bedroom, brand new, on the third floor. Mm. And so... Just, just something I, I don't want to overlook. Mm -hmm. So just to be clear, your good friend's boyfriend asked her to marry him just so y'all wouldn't go party together. That's probably correct. Okay. Just wanted to clear. <laughs> she knows that. Boy. She might have even used that to get the ring. I don't know. Yeah. Okay. So there's much more to it, maybe. But yeah. anyway. Okay. I just wanted to make sure I heard that right. All right. Yeah. So, um, so I went to the apartment complex, talked to the leasing office. No one ever taught me how to do any of this. And I went over there and talked to them and signed a lease, a one-year lease. And um, so that was probably in the month of uh, April. My moving date was the day I graduated, basically. More one? No, thanks. So what I did was the next time I was yelled out about a curfew uh, before I graduated, I said, well, that's kind of funny. You're telling me I have a curfew because in... X amount of days, I will not be living here, and I will make my own rules. And my stepfather was blown away. He could not believe I was moving out to live on my own. And um, there, at the time when I did move out, I did have a brand new Mustang GT convertible. And uh, that car, it's a funny story about that car too, because we, went shopping we were out one day my parents owned a car lot so basically every couple months i would have a different car as a kid other kids probably thought i was kind of a rich kid but i really wasn't because i would drive like cars off the car lot like a corvette probably one week two weeks i had a saab 900 turbo for a few weeks uh, it just varied i just drove random cars off the car lot and um he just my stepfather said um, if you were to have any car you'd want, what would it be? And I said, I would want a Ford Mustang. And he goes, well, let's go look at them. So we walked around the showroom floor and we uh, were looking at cars. And he was like, if you could pick any car off this car lot, which one would it be? And I said, that, that car right there, it was a showroom floor car. It was a, uh, it was a, like a maroon red, candy apple red, somewhat candy apple red. Um, white top convertible and I said I'd take that car right there and he said you got it and I was so excited and then we went to make the deal he said this is your car with one condition and I was like okay well the condition is you have to pay for it <laughs> and I said well well yeah I guess that would make it my car thanks <laughs> thanks dad <laughs> and I said I cannot afford a car like this and he said well yes you can we're gonna do a, a balloon payment. And uh, basically a balloon payment, what that means is that you have a very low monthly payment and then at the end of the term, which could be three years, five years, I believe mine was a five year term, um, you have to pay a huge lump sum. And so his, how what he was telling me was basically, look, you pay this car payment every month and you save a hundred or two hundred dollars, or you know, just save a certain amount. By the time you get to the end, you'll have that money saved up to pay the the lump sum, the balloon note. Hmm. 
<laughs> and I said, well, okay, well, I can do that. So, um, so there I was moving out and I had a car note and I had my first credit card, which was a mobile gas card, which had nothing on it really. And I had a Palette Royal card because I was always told, go to Palette Royal, they give everybody credit. And I wanted credit because you have that, you have to have credit to get an apartment. So I had the credit, I had the apartment, and I had a little debt. And uh, also I had this really awesome, my real father gave me this camera as a gift and I wasn't big into photography and my stepfather really wanted it. And he asked me if I would sell it to him. And I said, sure. And he goes, in fact, I, I won't give you cash. I'm gonna give you another car. So I had two cars. Wow, for a camera? For a camera this equipment was like uh about twelve hundred dollars so i had like a twelve hundred dollar little car okay so just to summarize you you've got you got a place to live you've got a good full-time job where you can make a living you've got wheels actually two cars and you've got a uh, proposed curfew that uh you're saying no to which is kind of the driver mm -hmm. um and uh, where, where is, at this point in your life, where is the uh, dream of becoming an engineer? How much is that playing into your thoughts or life right now? Or is it all just about, I don't want to live by your rules? It's about, I don't want to live by your rules, but it's also, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go to school to be an engineer. And in fact, it's, I forgot to mention this earlier, when I told my father, Clark, uh, stepdad, and my mom, I was going to be an engineer, Clark told me, you're going to go work on a train? And I'm like, just like I think you had said that earlier. Mm -hmm. And I said, no, an engineer does this. And he said, you can't be an engineer. That's a, a man's job. So that was your first you can't that you hear. Because I've, as I've heard the story before. I know more are coming. But that was the first one. Yeah, my own stepfather. Now... At the time that he said that, as much as you can remember, mm -hmm. was there any tongue-in-cheek to that, or was he dead serious about what he was saying? He was serious, because back in the early 80s, there were very few women engineers. So he meant it. Yeah. And so, um, so then I graduated, and, um, you know, I'm moving out. And he told my mom, don't, my mom was very upset. And he was like, don't worry, she'll be back. And I was like... And how are you, how old are you right now? At I'm this still uh, about to be 19 years old. Okay, so still 18. Yeah. About to be 19, okay. And so, um, but the funny part is, they were, my mom was upset. They were uh, kind of giving me a hard time that I was moving out. They didn't think I could do it. And then they buy me furniture. So it's kind of like... <laughs> Yeah, we don't think you do it, but here, let me buy you some furniture and <laughs> see you later. <laughs> they bought me a sofa. So we moved into my apartment, and my stepfather helped me, and I don't remember who else was there, really, to be honest with you. I just remember him complaining so much because I lived on the third floor, and he was complaining because they were having to carry furniture up to the third floor. And the reason I chose the third floor is when I uh, signed the lease, they that's probably all they had. They're probably hard to get rid of, but they also told me they're the safest because I'm not on the first floor. I was on the third. Someone's going to break in. The, the chances would be a lot lower in the third floor than the first. So I was scared and, okay, I'll take it, whatever. I don't care. You were scared 
just in general or because of what they were telling you about break-ins? Did, when did the realization come that, uh, hey, I'm going to be here by myself. I have to protect myself. Was that, was that a forethought or did that realization occur later? Do you remember? Well, when it, uh, so the whole thing about living where, you know, living on my own, I thought, okay, I make my own rules. I can do whatever I want. So I wasn't scared then. The, the scared part came and came when I had to go to bed at night and I was by myself. Uh, I was literally super scared. I would sleep on the couch because I wanted to make sure that if someone broke in, I could uh, spray them with the pepper spray. I was afraid if I was in my room, they could break in and I wouldn't have enough time to hear them. So I slept in my living room probably for a couple of months until I got over the fear of uh, someone coming in or whatever. Hmm. And then, uh, so I, you know, I did apply at HCC. Uh, I did take a couple classes. HCC is junior college. Yeah, Houston Community College. And I went there, I took like three classes because I also paid for my school. They didn't pay any of my uh, schooling at the time or really never. And I paid uh, for school with whatever money I had saved up and went to school. And then... Um, so you, no loans were taken out at the time. You, you had money saved up to do this even at, at age 18. You already had money saved. Yeah, I had been working until I was 16 part-time. And then the summers I would work close to full-time because you, if you work a certain amount of hours in retail over 32 or 34 hours or something like that, then they have to make you full-time and they can't do that. So they keep you under the 32 hours. Hmm. So I saved a bunch of money up and, uh, anyway, so I paid for school, HCC, a few hours here, a few hours there, you know, and I did, I did go out and I did go party and, uh, that did play into me missing classes saying, why am I really doing this right now? So I would go drop a class here and there. Um, then I would go, you know, fast forward, a couple months go by. Um, I, my good friend Janice wants to go see her friend that plays in the band. He played the drums and he, she's like, let's go see these guys are really good. So I go with her and I meet this guitar player and then he, we became really good friends and and then we started dating, basically, and um, the his band kicked the drummer out of the band, and him and the drummer were roommates. So we go to his house in the Galleria. He lived in the Galleria in a tent in an apartment. We go there one day after work or something. I don't remember. And there was a note saying you have a certain amount of time to get out because they kicked the drummer out of the band, and he he owned the lease. Mm -hmm. So the next day, I know I felt bad for. Uh, uh, my boyfriend at the time and I asked him hey come live with me until you find a place fast forward we were together for so six the years the person they were kicking out was your boyfriend yes the, the note was to him yeah. oh, okay alright and so um, we lived together he uh, played in a very uh, popular band in Houston and next thing I know I'm still going to school I'm on the road with him studying basically taking classes here and there in the hopes that you know what if i become an engineer uh that would be a great dream that i fulfilled but if i don't this other dream if it does come true 
I could be on the red carpet or at the MTV Awards or something if he if my boyfriend hits it big and becomes this major rock band popular. So high dreams that that would happen and because that they, they were so popular in Houston and they were they won um, a talent show. We went to L.A. to watch them on a uh, film a talent show that was on uh, ABC on New Year's Eve. Wow. And uh, I just thought they were going to be big. And then I was like, why would I, what if I wait, um, go to school full time, do all this, and then he becomes big and I don't use my degree for anything. So I don't know. Maybe I won't, I'll pursue it, but I won't be as strong doing it. So that so lasted a while. The engineering was put on hold. Yes. So, um, and your, what is your age at this time? Um, I'm about 23. Okay. So working, taking a couple classes here and there. Um, I did go, I did. How, how but you said, okay. Mm -hmm. So how far along were you in college, right? How many hours did you have at the time? Were you a sophomore or still a freshman? I was probably like a freshman. And then I went to U of H downtown. Okay. I transferred. Okay. And by this time I'm taking it a little more serious um, a little more serious and then I went to I took some few class I took like two or three classes at U of H downtown and then um, found out that my ex-boyfriend was cheating on me so I decided how did you find out um, <laughs> supposedly he was at a uh, rehearsal and one of the band members called and said Hey, is Gary there? And I'm like, no, he's at a rehearsal. And he's like, no, I said, no, he's not here. And I go, I thought y'all had a rehearsal. And he said, no, it was canceled. Hmm. So then I realized, and when he got home, I asked him, you know, how was the rehearsal? He said, oh, it went great. So, lie. Yeah. Hmm. And then uh, one day I get home from work and there's a girl's voice on our answer machine. Back then we had answer machines. Mm -hmm. So that's how I found out. Mm -hmm. So then I planned, I was going to leave him basically, mm -hmm. but we were in debt mm. because he loved to buy lots of stuff. Mm -hmm. And, um, was he, you were still working full time at Randall's at the time? Yes. So was he bringing in any of the income? Yes. Mm. He worked at a music store. Okay. Was it 50-50 or were you bringing in more or what was mm -hmm. the ratio? I made more than him. Hmm. So, um, I decided I'm going to move out, but he doesn't know about it. And what, and I thought to myself, well, how am I going to do this? Well, I took uh, the graveyard at Ranch. So right now my school's on hold, obviously. I took the graveyard at Randall's and I applied for a bank job at Wells Fargo. So in the daytime, I was a teller and at night I uh, worked at uh, Randall's. So I had a full-time and a part-time job and uh, to pay off this debt so I could be debt-free and leave him. How much debt was it? Like $8,000. Wow. Well, back then that was a lot. Well, in ratio to what your incomes were... Um, that was my debt with him, but yeah. he had his own, but I was worried, but we occurred it together, but I was splitting it in half. Yeah. So, so you, you needed to pay off 
eight thousand yourself or four thousand? Eight thousand. Wow. So it was sixteen together. Wow. So what was your so the second job basically was to pay off the debt then? Yes. Hmm. How how long were you estimating it would take to pay off that debt with the second job? A year. Hmm. About a year. Um. So that's what I basically did for almost a year. Mm. And back to the Mustang, the balloon payment, that's a funny story. So it's about five years because I got that at age 16. It's, I'm like, I'm a, so I must have been 21, 22. And um, my stepfather calls me up and he's like, hey, did you, you know, your balloon note's coming up. Hope you've been saving up for it. Uh, yeah, not. And I'm thinking, oh my God, what am I going to do? And I was already like trying to call around see if I get a second loan. Did did he surprise you with that call, or is this something that was in the back of your mind that was kind of nagging at you, or was it just a complete, oh my gosh, the balloon note? I totally forgot. Um. No, I knew about it, but could I say I forgot? I didn't forget. I just, I guess said, oh, never really worried about it. I don't know. It's kind of maybe a kid thing. Mm. You know it's there, but you're like, eh, well... It'll go away somehow. Yes. And how much was it? The balloon note was um, like 20, no, uh, 15,000 maybe. Oh my gosh. Because the car cost back in 1986, the sticker I still have to this day, I believe it's it was $28,000. And do you remember the terms, or did your dad tell you what would happen if you didn't have $15,000 to pay off the balloon note? You'd have to refinance it at a higher rate, at a higher interest rate hmm. from that company. Not, so I called around, and I, could, I called other uh, lenders, and I could get a new loan uh, and refinance it. Mm -hmm. And so what I did was... Um, basically panic and uh, a few days go by I'm like worried, sick I don't know how I'm going to get this balloon note and then to top it off while I'm worrying about this balloon note I'm sitting at a stoplight near my apartment and um, no, hold on, let me back this up I was at a grocery store or some shopping center and I backed up and I hit a tail light and I called Ford and they said to replace the tail light it would cost $500 and I'm like holy crap I don't have $500 and so I drove around with a broken tail light about four days later I'm at a red light and the Mustang that I I need to pay off pretty soon and I get rear-ended by a 18-wheeler. And the 18-wheeler doesn't even know he rear-ended me. He was like a, not an 18-wheeler, it was like a dump truck. Because mm. he was taking the load from one spot to the other. Mm. And he pushed me over the railroad tracks and pushed me into oncoming traffic. And luckily I didn't get hit. Oh my gosh. And so I chased him. He didn't even know that he uh, wrecked into me. And I had to chase him. And then he's like, oh, I'm so sorry. Da, da, da. We exchanged insurance. His insurance paid for my car to get fixed. And the taillights were... My broken taillight was now fixed. <laughs> and so, anyway, so now I'm still scrambling to get money to pay for this car. Yeah. And um, one morning I go out to go to work. 
I go out the front door, and my car's missing. Mm-hmm. And I thought, oh my God, they towed it. Mm-hmm. The balloon note came. <laughs> you know, I think this car's gone. It's towed. The balloon note, they figured it out. Because they weren't calling my... They wouldn't call my dad. They would call me because the loan was in my name, mm-hmm. I believe. Or it could have been his. I don't know. But they, didn't, they weren't calling or anything. And so I was like... I kind of called Clark. I'm like, uh, you know my car's not here. <laughs> and he's like, well, it must be stolen. And I said, well, the bank thing, do they, you know, what happens about the balloon? Because I haven't paid it. He goes, and he got mad at me. You still haven't paid it? And I'm like, no. And he's like, well, it's not due until, he kind of gave me a, a false deadline just to get me aware that it's going to be due. Mm. And so I was like panicked and called the police and sure enough, the car was stolen and totaled. Yay. And I had gap insurance. (laughs) So, whew. Yeah, (laughs) a big whoof. First the dub truck, whoof, a scary whoof, but then, yeah, what a perfect thing to happen. Yes. The the best car stealing story ever. Yes, I was so happy. They hit a tree in West University. Yeah. Head on. Yeah. Um, You could see the imprints of the passenger in the windshield that's how hard the impact was oh wow and they walked away from it so then finally uh got rid of gary and i by this time i had a roommate uh, a female roommate living with me gary's out of the picture my female roommate is living with me and um we're going to hawaii it's summertime by this time I'm about 23 or somewhere, and we're going to Hawaii, and um, we decide we're going to get a job at Sam's Boat to be waitresses and to meet guys, basically. <laughs> and so we go uh, apply at Woodrow's first, which is around the corner. Back then, those two are the happening places to be in the, in the uh, mid-90s. And so we go to Woodrow's, apply there. Then we go to Sam's Boat to apply, but we really, we really never apply. So we started talking to these guys. And then uh, that's where I met my first husband. And when I met him, he was an engineer. He, um, he, was a, he went to Texas A&M, graduate, had a job in, um, I think it was, I don't remember the company. It was an oil and gas um, so we started dating and I told him, I said, you know, I always wanted to be an engineer. And by this time I realized I'm never going to be a, in a, a wife to a famous rocker. So I, I better go back to school <laughs> and, uh, get my other dream that I dreamed about. So how old are you at this time? Uh, still about uh, 23, 24. Okay. And so then, um, I did end up going, uh, during that time period, um, before I met Paul, I was attending the University of Houston. I took a bunch of classes, I think it was four, and I dropped out. But I, w- I went one whole semester and took classes there, then I went another one, and it was like, I think three or four, and I dropped them. I wanna say it was four. Yeah, it is four. I dropped out, I dropped the four classes. I got accepted to the Cullen School of Engineering as a mechanical uh, uh, major. 
And so I took those classes and I dropped the classes. And uh, Why did you drop the classes then? Because of all the chaos of my personal life. Now was this the time, having heard the story before, mm -hmm. wasn't there a professor at that time that yes. inspired you? And I put the word inspired in quotes. Well, there was a professor and then it was a dean. The professor, uh, the dean, the professor was always saying that, um, that women shouldn't be engineers, but that was here, no here nor there. But um, so I had all eyes. I'm sorry. I had, I thought I had a withdrawal. And so I am now with, um, engaged to Paul. And I said, I'm going to go back to school. I'm going to get this degree. And no matter what, I, I'm going to be the, an engineer like I set out to be in the beginning when I was little. Uh, so then I, I go to University of Houston and I go to apply to get back into Cullen School. Not really apply, but just register. And when I go to register, they wouldn't allow me to register. They said I was on academic suspension. Mm. And I was like, what? How was I suspended when I withdrew all my classes? So they informed me that the four professors, for some reason, did not give me withdrawals. They gave me incompletes. Mm. And I don't know about all colleges, but at the time at University of Houston, if you, if you receive an incomplete from a professor, you have one year to take the class and get a grade. If not, the I turns to an F. Mm. So you failed? Yes. Four classes. So I had four Fs. Mm. So I went to the dean at this time and pled my case, told him I withdrew. And then he basically said, I can't help you. The only way you can, um, you could get back into the College of Engineering is if you go back to these teachers and you have them remove the F's and make them W's and I said okay so I spent like almost a week trying to find these professors because this is like um, the summer almost you know because I'm trying to apply for fall finding them like at school at or school, looking anywhere. up looking up where they live just some of them don't work there anymore mm. and this is is what what, what year? Yeah, what year is this? I'm, I'm just trying to mm -hmm. get a, um, you know, how much, the, the internet doesn't even exist yet, right? No, so there's you're no just, internet. Yeah. It's about 95. Okay, so you're going old school search methods. Right, 95, I'm about 24 or 5. And how many of these four professors did you find in the week period of looking for them? I found two. And what did they say when you tried to switch the... Get them to switch the W or the F to the W. They uh, looked up in their um, grade book and they agreed with me that it should have been a W. I was never um, there. I never took any uh, test or turned homework in. There was no grade. Mm. So they automatically gave me W's because they had proof I never turned anything, you know. Because normally how incomplete works, it uh, it's... It, it is there for if you are in school and say you're making A, B, or C, or even a D, or an F, or whatever, mm. and 
someone's sick becomes sick in your family or for some reason you can't finish this the semester in that class mm -hmm. they give you an incomplete so you can come back and finish it so you don't have to pay for the class again mm -hmm. so it's there in case you need it for like an emergency so when they went back to look they noticed I didn't have any grades or anything so they I couldn't have attended the class I was not there so, so they, gave got, me, they gave me two W I got a W in each class yeah two out of the four mm -hmm. so what what's going on with the other two they, they remained F's. So what did you do from there? So I had to go, I went back to the dean, pled my case, and he told me, I will let you in, but you have to make above um, a 2.5. And I said, okay, I could do this. So I registered for class, and I... Uh, I had drafting and some project uh, class where you had a, we had to build um, a mechanism that would pick up some, pick up a cup of water with springs and pulleys and pick it up and set it on a scale. So it had to make a whole um, uh, 180 degree, half of a circle basically to get to the scale. And we had to have drawings, we had to have a report. This class was the most time consuming class out of anything I've ever taken. And so, and when you say drawings, there's no CAD at this time. No, right? it's all hand drawing. Yeah. So now you get to finally use those mechanical pencils that you yeah. saw at age six. When I took drafting at HCC, I loved it. That's what I, I thought that was the coolest thing. So we had reports to write. We had a lot of stuff. Basically, I had no social life for one semester because of all this. Okay, so... Break down at that time, you had no social life, which obviously up to that point was a big part of your life. Yeah. Uh, well, not anymore, really. It kind of slowed down a little. I had so a are you, are you married at this time? Or are you engaged? Not married yet. Okay. So, so break down a day for us. What time did you wake up? Um, probably like five in the morning. I went to bed about two or three in the morning. So you were rolling on three, four hours sleep. Right. And how much of that was work? How much was study? How much was class? Um, work was uh, eight hours and the rest was school. Okay. And you're 24-ish? 25. 25. So you're at the prime of party life. <laughs> a, lot, a lot of... Yeah. A lot of people uh, at that age have graduated from college. If they find, you know, kind of right. go the mainstream mm -hmm. way, I can attest for that because I was one of those. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, they're making money, mm -hmm. especially if you're in pharmaceutical sales. Mm -hmm. uh, but uh, they're out of college, they're making money, and they're enjoying their 20s. But you are killing yourself at this time. Mm -hmm. Is that how you felt? Do you felt? Do you feel like you were killing yourself? Do you, did were you at that time? Were you going, man? I don't know how much longer I can take this, or no. was there just so much drive? Yeah, tell me. Tell no, me about I really it. wanted it. So, because I didn't want to get kicked out of school, so I gave it my all, and I was determined not to get because I had to have a two point five or better. Or the dean would kick me out. So this perfect or this dean's challenge is what was motivating you through this period. Yes. And so I had to go talk to him. We had meetings or whatever. And uh, so then finally, semester's coming to an end. And uh, I fell short. 
2.45. You're kidding. One half of a point. Mm -hmm. So I uh, went back to the dean and had a meeting with him and talked to him about if I could um, not get kicked out because I fell short by the half point. And um, he said, sorry, no, I cannot do that. And then I was very upset and uh, he told me maybe I shouldn't be an engineer. But that, uh, he said, maybe this engineering is not for you. Uh, why be an engineer anyway? You're going to get married, have kids, and you're never going to use this degree, so it's a waste of your time. Go pick a different one that is easier and not hard, and you're not wasting your time. Or don't go to school at all, basically. just You're wasting your time because this is not for you. But, you know, basically he wanted me to do something different that wasn't as challenging as engineering. So this is number three. Number three what? That the third person that told you. Yeah, the professor told me women shouldn't be engineers. A professor I had in class at University of Houston. <laughs> now the dean is telling me. Wow. And so my response to him was, I, you know, I think you're wrong for telling me not I cannot be an engineer. And I said, one day I'm going to prove it to you. And... Uh, you will get a phone call from me when I become an engineer. And he goes, I welcome the challenge. And I said, you will get it. And um, so then by this time, I'm kicked out of the University of Houston. <laughs> and uh, in order to go back to University of Houston, I would have to wait a whole year. And I didn't want to wait anymore. Time was, you know, I'm 20, but this time I'm 26. I'm a, I am uh, about to get married, or was married, I can't remember, but I was um, going to get married. I wanted to be an engineer, and um, so I think, yeah, I was married. I was married, and then my uh, first husband told me to stop working at Randall's, uh, get a part-time job, maybe at an engineering firm as a tech, and see if I could do that, and to see if I really even liked it. And so I did exactly that. I got a, a part-time job working 20 hours a week at Brooks and Sparks uh, consulting firm. And basically my job was to go downtown, and the reason they, uh, their main thing was they thought I was cute that I could get the drawings passed through, even though they didn't meet spec to whatever the building codes were. They thought you were cute? Yes. Okay, so that not only works in sales, but it works in engineering too, that if you're cute, you can get drawings passed. And I was smart, and I could do drafting, so I could doctor up the drawings. Well, I hope there's not a lot of cute women working <laughs> on aircraft, uh, rocket ships, anything flying, any... Uh, roller coaster ride. Anyway, I digress. <laughs> so, so what happened from there? So I worked there and um, I worked there and then I got, I would take drawings to Harris County oh. Flood Control and when I went in there, uh, this one guy that had a sign off on the drawings, he really liked me and he offered me a job part-time at um, Harris County Flood Control. And so 
I took that job as a part-time tech, and by this time, AutoCAD's out. And so I was taught AutoCAD working there. In my primary job, basically, I would uh, use AutoCAD to make all the, uh, the discussion boards. So when the county commissioners, all of them would go in front of people, uh, you know, TV or in Houston, they would uh, talk over these, like, um, basically poster boards with graphics on them explain like how flood control works and watersheds and all that stuff and if there was a flood my job me and other people we would go out and we would do high water markings we would spend a whole day marking the the marks where the water hit the highest point and then collect the measure them and then we would take those measurements and give them to the engineers and they would put them in the computers so then the computer has um an event a water um a rain event and they knew how high that rain event caused the um, the water to go in the in the ditches so by that time I'm still uh, I was I got kicked out of school and I was trying to figure out where to go and I went to uh, Lamar um, during that period of time when I transitioned from Brooks and Sparks to flood control I went to Lamar University for one semester because I got kicked out of university, University of Houston, and uh, for those people that don't know, in the in Houston there's only um, there is the University of Houston, there is Houston Baptist University, uh, Rice University. Rice is like Ivy League school, super expensive, could not afford that. HBU did not have engineering, and then there's a uh, TSU. Or, right, TSU, Texas, Texas Southern. Southern. Mm -hmm. I don't recall. I think they had engineering technology. So there is a difference. Engineering technology and engineers are two different disciplines. And so I applied at Lamar University in Beaumont, Texas. Which, for uh, those wondering how far that is, that's 80 miles uh, approximately east of Houston. Mm -hmm. So now you're working at flood control. Right. Which is how far from where you're currently living at the time, I drive lived, time. Okay, so at the time, um, I lived in, where did I, I don't remember where I lived. can't remember I lived in, I must have lived in, the, I lived in northwest Houston. So Eldridge, wasn't it? Eldridge. Yeah. So about 25, 30 minutes mm -hmm. from where you lived. And then Beaumont, 80 miles, was a good hour and a half one way right. from there. So two hours approximately right. from where you live for one semester. Yes. You went there because and the, the engineering opportunities were very limited. Right. I mean, if I had it my way, if I would have played it the right way, I would have gone to, and if I could have got in and had the grades, I would have went to Texas A&M, but that was too far away, so I couldn't do that. So I went, and I'm kicked out of University of Houston, but... So I went to Lamar. They accepted me. They accepted all my classes, and um, a lot of my classes, and went there, and it was just a lot of driving, and I had a miscarriage during that time period, hmm. and um, I didn't know what to do, really. I was like, maybe I should give this up. But I was determined, hopefully, not to give it up. And one day I'm talking... Okay, so what, 
again, the driving factor at that time, mm -hmm. I'm determined not to give it up. Was it this dean or was now you've had several people tell you no and, mm -hmm. and several hurdles to climb to get to an engineering degree. What was it at that point? Was it just, I'm not going to give up or was there anything specific driving you at that time? Yeah, the specific thing was that someone told me I couldn't be an engineer. The dean. The dean. So the very last person that told you mm -hmm. was the most inspiring thing right. at that time. So um, one day, I'm getting close to the end of uh, my semester at Lamar University, and the people at the management at Flood Control knew I drove there. So they kind of gave me a lax schedule. They were very, very, very um, part of my, you know, me getting my degree basically. And um, I was talking to the manager of engineering, and um, I really didn't like her that much. I thought she was kind of abrasive. Hmm. Uh, but she uh, pulled me in her office and I thought I was getting in trouble for something. I didn't know why I was going to her office because usually that, that's what that means. Hmm. And uh, she sat me down and she asked me about being an engineer. And um, she said, so I hear that you want to be an engineer. And I said, yes, I do. And she goes, uh, what is your degree? Is it mechanical, right? I said, yeah, it's mechanical. And she said, well, have you ever considered becoming a civil engineer? And I said, no, not really. She goes, you do a really good job here, and you might excel in civil engineering. And I said, well, okay, I'll consider that right now. I just, I'm trying to go to uh, school to be an engineer, you know, whatever school I can go to, but they're all, there's nothing really around here. Did you know what a civil engineer did, or? Yeah, because I worked with them. Mm-hmm. Because that's all people at Flood Control are. They're civil engineers, mm -hmm. they're hydrologists. Mm -hmm. So I kind of knew what they did. Um, but then uh, she said, have you ever considered um, going to the University of uh, Prairie View, Prairie View University? And I told her, no, not really. <laughs> Prairie View, uh, just to back it up some, uh, when she told me that, a week before she told me that, Preview was in the news because their band was fighting with another band on the field. And I remember that. So there was big news there that, they, I don't know, they got a bad rap for that. Well, Prairie View A&M is owned by Texas A&M. And a little history about Prairie View A&M. Prairie View A&M was uh, an all-black um, nursing uh, school. And then later, it, it was not called Prairie View A&M, it was called some other name, but later in life, uh, Texas A&M came in and bought them. And then they opened up other disciplines. They have, uh, you know, they have veterinarian school there, they have engineering, um, uh, business, all these sorts of uh, different um, disciplines. And to put it into perspective, you are predominantly Latino. Yes. And so... And she's proposing for you to go to a predominantly black 
engineering school. That's correct. And she was the, Martha was the... Now, the, let me ask uh -huh. you though, at the time when she brought that idea, did you say when you were a little hesitant, which was playing into it more? The civil engineering part, the there was just a big uproar there, or predominantly black, which, or a little bit of everything? Kind of all of it. Okay. But what she told me was, she said, I know the dean of engineering there, and that school is a very good school, and you're, uh, they have the best recruiting. So, you know, basically like just because you hear these things or you think it's an all-black school or whatever, it, it doesn't have, some of, you know, it probably has, people probably misperceive it all. She's like, give it a chance. And I was like, well, okay. She goes, at least go visit the campus. I said, all right, I'll give you that. And so I talked to my husband at the time and told him, and he was kind of reluctant because predominantly because of the band thing. Because they had like a lot of, they were in the news for a lot of stuff. And also, and I know this, but to give everybody else uh, some insight as to how far Prairie View A&M is from where you currently live drive time. 30 minutes. Really? 30 hmm. to, yeah. Okay. Because I'm going against traffic. I'm hitting on, I live off 290 and it's 290 going toward uh um, college station. Or oh, okay. Yeah. All right. It's like 30, 35 minutes. Yeah. Not that bad. It's all yeah. highway. Anybody listening in, L in LA, that's I know, drive to the grocery stores. So. Yeah. Okay. Not as far. And as the I reason thought. I never really thought of it, I didn't uh, think of that school to begin with. I didn't even know they had, I just didn't really think of it. It was hmm. out of town. It, I know it was closer than Beaumont, but I really didn't know they had engineering there. I just, it wasn't something in the forefront that I would ever have thought of. Hmm. So I, uh, I don't know, next couple days I take a drive out there. It's in this beautiful country setting. It's a nice little town and uh, pull in to Prairie View and I go to a uh, registrar's office. And while I'm walking through this college, um, it was very welcoming. I, I went to U of H like off and on um, several years and went to you know, uh, Houston community. I went to U of H downtown and um, they, you could walk by someone and they would not even acknowledge you. And when I went to Prairie View and m I would walk by people and they would be like, hey, how you doing? Hi, how you doing? I'm like, whoa. Big city versus small town. Right. So then I go to school I uh, go home, talk to my uh, first husband, and say, hey, I want to, I think I should apply there and see if I can get in. And uh, he said, if you feel that, that you're okay going to school there and you want to do it, go ahead, go for it. So I applied, and they were awesome because they transferred everything, which is very rare because some of the classes I had were uh, in the third year. Mm. So, but they transferred all classes. Hmm. And so, how many after the transfer? How many credit hours do you have going into Prairie View? I had two years left. 
So okay. I don't know the hours. It so was you're basically a lot. you're basically two years uh, left. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So probably 10, 20, 40 classes, 40 yeah. hours. Okay. And I've, when you entered Prairie View, you're 25, 26 at the time? Uh, 20, wait, 26. So maybe I went there a little longer. Maybe I had three years because I think I was like 26, yeah, 26 or so or seven, 27. Okay. And so then I go to school. Uh, there and meet with the dean and they're very friendly I took classes I did really well in classes um, I made the dean's list the last two semesters or three semesters and uh, when you make so, the dean's so much list, for the 2.45 right yes <laughs> when you make the dean's list you uh, prairie view and I don't know about all colleges but your your school uh, your tuition is paid for for that semester. Wow, that's huge. So I didn't pay for that. Mm. And while I was in school, I got pregnant. Hmm. And uh, so that would have been uh, Lauren. Mm-hmm. And so when I got pregnant, everybody's like, "Well, that dean must have been right. She's never going to finish school. She should <laughs> stay home and have kids. She's never going to come back." And. Mm. Um, so you got pregnant, and and where were you in school at the time? You were um, in your semester, or I was pregnant during semester. During semester, how much of the semester did you have left? I had the I finished the semester. I don't remember, but wow. I was pregnant. And I went to school pregnant. What were your thoughts at the time? I'm pregnant. Did did you? I was agree? gonna give up. Yeah. You're too far in now, right? I was too far in. I was in, yeah. but I was almost there. So why I cannot quit now? Yeah. And how much did you have left at the time that you got pregnant? I really don't remember. I just I don't remember. It didn't so matter. It didn't matter. No. You were gonna finish. Yeah. So then, um, my mom's like on me on my case. You're not gonna finish now. You know, da 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 da. Because her her life dream is is uh, saying my daughter's an engineer. So she was. Could her not. life dream is yeah. to say her daughter's an engineer. Well, or my daughter's a doctor, or my son's a lawyer, you know, just the bragging rights of your kid, basically. Yeah. So then I um, did have Lauren, and th- I left college. I did take, uh, I believe, a semester off. I had to. And I went back to uh, school. And finished up uh, my classes. My senior year, we had Boeing uh, came out to look. They uh, sponsored our project, and Boeing came our senior year and basically offered me a job. Okay, before we get to that, because mm-hmm. having been a part of this in my previous marriage with uh, my ex-wife. Um, having a newborn and going back to work and that first day of dropping our oldest son off at daycare. I want to, I want to talk about that for a second. Mm -hmm. So, but you're not going to a job. You're going back to school and you have this newborn. Mm -hmm. I'm still working though. And, and working. Yes. So tell us about that experience, that mental struggle, because it must've been. It was. It is. It's it's very hard because it feels like uh, you're kind of abandoning your kid. 
So there's like this. How, how difficult was it to study and to concentrate on your work and your school while you have your child, your newborn child at daycare? Um, well, that wasn't that bad because they're at daycare, but the challenge came when they weren't in, when she wasn't in daycare and we we're at home and we had to, you know, feed her, bathe her, put her to sleep and all that. And she's crying, you know, you lose sleep, but, um, and you're trying to study. It's yeah. not like your day's over. You come up with yeah. work, your day's over. You're still, you got work to do. Yeah. But I was very fortunate that, uh, my ex husband was, a great dad so he helped so it wasn't like I was left to do everything so there was, that was played a good factor and uh, so it, you know it was hard but it you adjust to it uh, over time you adjust your life to for this baby and then and when they become older and stuff so I uh, <clears throat> So like I was saying that the they had that project and I got a job offer from Boeing and there was no way and heck I was gonna go live in Kansas too cold and uh, I have a kid and by this time I, I believe my ex-husband worked for Baker Hughes so we weren't going anywhere. So I, uh, I did graduate <laughs> and when I graduated, I graduated uh, cum laude which is honors and I had um, my GPA was a 3.69. I would have had a 4 point, in engineering I had a 4.0. My overall GPA was a 3.69 because I had two Bs and one was in psychology and the other one was in uh, sociology or something. Some cl the classes I do not understand or care for. So I um, graduated, my daughter was at my graduation and I believe she was one at the time. So I graduated in 2001. So it did take me a long time. I was... Um, How old were you at the time of your graduation? In 2001, I was uh, 32. Wow. So the dream of becoming an engineer that started at age six and... Continued on um, with major hurdles starting at 18 and all the way through your early 20s, really all, all the way through your 20s, basically ended at 32. What was the feeling like walking across that stage, achieving your dream? It was amazing. My family was there. Uh, Clark was there. The one that uh, my stepfather that said, "You're not, uh, women can't be engineers," and it was amazing. Did he acknowledge or remember any of that? Telling you any of that? No. Did you acknowledge it for him? <laughs> yeah, I didn't have to. <laughs> um, oh, so, I do need to. I should back up a little. I forgot one. Uh, the dean. No, I forgot oh. the. So before I graduated, when you were in um, probably any college, they have a job fair before you graduate. And you know you're going to graduate, so a job fair comes out to the school and you attend the job fair. So you have a job when you get out. Well, Harris County Flood Control offered me 
a job when I got my degree. And, um, and they offered me a job to work at Harris County. In 2001, it was like 33000 a year. Mm. And my uh, ex-husband said, well, you know, why don't you go to that job fair and kind of see what your value is. You know, um, the worst thing that could happen is you stay at Harris County because I love that. I love working there. I thought this is where I'm going to work when I finish. I like working here. Did you did County. you ever go back and talk to the woman that inspired you to get a prayer view? Oh yeah. And what did you say to her? Did you thank her? Yeah, but I thanked her later. Hmm. And what did she? What was her reaction? Was she surprised or? She no longer worked at Harris County. She retired and moved to Austin and I thanked her years later and told her the whole story that I'm telling everybody right now. And what was her reaction to she that? She was so amazed. She was so grateful. Hmm. Hmm. Because I told her it was because of her, basically, that she helped me get to the level that I got to. So let's get to um, my favorite part of this story. Well, I haven't got there yet. Okay. <laughs> so I go to this job fair and yeah. walk around and all these people are stopping me because I have my resume and they're asking me if I want to come work for them. One was Burling, Burlington mm -hmm. Railroad and Santa Fe Railroad and then I get to this one, this one guy chased me down and it was ExxonMobil and he stopped me and I was like, you don't need me, I'm a civil engineer and he's like, we hire civil engineers. I said, okay, well, so then I gave him my resume and that was that. So the next day I get a phone call and it was ExxonMobil. And they said, we're sorry, we're not looking for any, uh, we have, we don't have any engineering opportunities at this time. You know, you know, hope you find something. And then I said, okay, well, I figured, you know, basically I knew that, uh, they wouldn't hire a civil engineer. Mm. And so then I get another phone call a couple days later, and it's ExxonMobil again. And they said, hi, this is ExxonMobil. We loved it. We want to interview you for a position at, engineering position at ExxonMobil. And I'm like, well, you just called two days ago and said there were no <laughs> positions. And the guy laughed, and he said, this is the upstream. And I'm like, what is upstream? I don't know what you're talking <laughs> about. Well... The people that said there were no positions was downstream. So downstream is like the refineries. And upstream are the people that get the oil and gas out of the ground mm. to send it to the refineries. Mm. So then I said, okay, so I went to this interview. And at the strangest interview ever, it was an interview where they don't ask you any questions. They just tell you their job. And at the end of the interview, I uh, spoke with the production manager, who, was, who would be my big, big boss. And uh, he said, I, you know, you, you fit the mold of ExxonMobil. Uh, you know, we think we would like to hire you, but at the time we have another candidate that we made a, we extended an offer to. And the only way that we could offer you a job is if they turn it down. And I'm like, who's going to turn down ExxonMobil? <laughs> okay, whatever. So I left there thinking, hmm, whatever, I'm going to go to the work for Harris County. Hmm. And so I get a couple days later I get a phone call they said would you like to come work for ExxonMobil and I said sure and your starting salary would be $56,000 so I went from Harris County 32 to ExxonMobil 56 grand this is in 2001 
And what were your, what were your thoughts? Oh, I, I hit the holy lottery. Holy crap! Yes, <laughs> I never thought it. I had a friend at U of H that said she was going to make over fifty thousand getting out, and I said, "We're civil engineers. We're going to make thirty thousand. You're, there's no way." And how did you say yes to that? Were you did you play it cool? Like, let me think about it. Can I call you back tomorrow, or was it just yes? No, I said yes. <laughs> okay. And so, so then. Now I have the offer. I have the letter. They send me a letter in the mail. You get it like a letter that says what your salary is going to be. Mm. And um, then I called the Dean of Engineering at University of Houston. And I was on hold and he picks the phone up. In fact, I don't know if I ever tell you this other part. I'll tell you in a minute. Uh, I called, he answered the phone and I said, his name was Dr. Shattuck or something like that, I believe. And I said, hi, Dr. Shattuck or whatever his name was. I said, you might not uh, remember me, but I went to school there. And I don't remember the year at this point, moment. Uh, and I got academic probation and I didn't make it. So you kicked me out of school, basically suspended. If my math is right, this is about nine to ten years later just to to give the audience a, a reference of, so. of how long how much time's passed yeah. for him to pick up the phone and get this call i don't know if you remember me but this event happened nine or ten years ago right yeah it was still the same guy though sure yeah so um <clears throat> he said uh I said, do you remember when you told me I shouldn't be an engineer? He's like, what? I said, yeah, you remember? He goes, okay. Um, I might, I don't know. I might have. <laughs> I don't really remember really. And I said, well, you did tell me that. And I'm calling you today because do, do you remember? I, it was in your office and I told you I would call you when I became an engineer. And you said, I would like to hear from you when you do. And he's like, I really don't remember that, but okay. And I said, he's kind of like get to the point basically. And I said, well, uh, first of all, I want to say you should never tell anybody they can't do anything because you told me that, and I am probably not like everybody. You propelled me to do it. You uh, inspired me to prove you wrong. And um, I graduated with a 3.69 honors in engineering, civil engineering, and I, I work for the biggest oil company in the world. Exxon Mobil, and I will be sending you my diploma and, I don't know if I tell you that part, and my offer letter in the mail, and I did. Awesome. No, yeah. you, you didn't tell me that part. That's awesome. Because, you know, it's a random call. Yeah, anybody could just call in and say whatever. Yeah. And then, so he was like, uh, well, congratulations. And he really never apologized. Mm. But, oh, well, I didn't care. I said click, and that was the end of that. <laughs> Were you disappointed that he didn't apologize, or what, what? Where are you today, as far as resolution with that moment? Is is that it a nice. is it a uh, in hindsight I should thank him for inspiring me, or you know, basically what you told him that he may have killed the dreams of a lot of people. You're just unique in that you use that energy to propel you. Where, where are you? Mm -hmm. today with that with that particular moment well i i guess i'm glad he said i couldn't do it because it made me prove him wrong mm -hmm. 
do you, do you still feel like though for the mass majority that he should be more inspiring and positive on positive side and say you can do it and oh yeah 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 because I could like I said I could be the the few people that you can't do it and they say well then I can't do it and they don't do it mm. which I did it with the acting thing yeah but I guess what kind of uh, painted the picture of starving actress. I was like, I don't see myself doing that. Yeah. I want something more solid. So, anyway. And unfortunately, Clark, who I never met and would love to have met, passed away in 2011. Did you all, I know he didn't say anything to you necessarily at the time of graduation, uh, recognizing that he, he once told you that you couldn't, but was there any conversations with him later that mm. I'm proud of you or anything like that, that? Yeah, he always told me that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, he obviously did a great job as a parent. So fast forward to today, you spent 15 years in engineering. And uh, for those who don't know, the engineering oil field business uh, here in the Houston area is a roller coaster ride that my wife uh, endured for 15 years and now is a real estate agent. And uh, so I'm going to give her a minute here to plug her company. <laughs> and also, she, did, she didn't know this was coming, but uh, nice. th th she is going to be our first uh, True Chronicles advertiser. So LaVon, please give your company name and how people can get a hold of the best realtor, the most service conscientious realtor in the Houston market. Thanks for embarrassing me again. Uh, my name is LaVon Pitney, like Scott has already mentioned. I work for Keller Williams Memorial um, off of I-10 by Campbell Road. It's 950-Corbindale. C-O-R-B-I-N-D-A-L-E, Suite 100, Houston, Texas, 77024. Um, I can help you buy a house, sell a house, a townhouse, condo. I can help you rent a house or an apartment. Any, any real estate needs, uh, I can help you with that, even commercial needs. Um, if you want to get a hold of me, my phone number is 713-805-8871. And my email address is sold, sold at pitney, and then P-I-T-N-E-Y, properties, P-R-O-P-E-R-T-I-E-S.com. Well done. Best impromptu commercial. So I want to thank everybody for listening. I want to thank our first awesome, and will be the most awesome guest, LaVon Pitney. Thank you very much. Great story. Great story. And we will see you on the next podcast. Thanks again for listening.